Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another show. And... Cody, it feel it feels like we haven't done a episode in like a month, but I think it was just last Sunday, right? That's super weird you said that. I was literally thinking like, man, it's been so long since we've recorded, but it's regular scheduled programming as always. Yeah, just a lot has happened this week. It's been kind of a wild and crazy week and I'm I'm starting to I'm starting to get like anxiety about I don't know if that's the right word. Anticipation, the playoffs are are coming. I can't figure out what's going on in the league. I want to talk about that in a second, but before we get to that, can we start with this tweet that has been sent to me many times this week from 2012? Have you seen this tweet? Did I share it with you? This is the one that was unearthed by your Discord community, right? Apparently, yeah, that's the story. They Someone was going back in my timeline and finding out things that a past version of me had once theoretically uttered into the universe I don't know. The tweet goes something like this. It says, um, you know, the problem with LeBron is all or his LeBron's ball dominance is really is really hurting his team. And then I think there was a second one that was unearthed about um, LeBron has no ability to play well in big games. So these are these are clearly your actual takes from 2012. You weren't you weren't saying it in response to anyone else that might have been saying this kind of thing, right? Well, so when I saw it, I was like, my first thought uh, was, I was like, wait a second, is this a, another impersonating account? Like, what's going on? Why do people keep impersonating my accounts? Then I was like, wait a second, that is my account, uh, and I went and looked it up, and it looked like I got a little saucy during the Eastern Conference Finals in 2012 and that tweet is actually from about halftime of game six when LeBron drops 30 points in the first half on the Celtics 12-14 shooting one of the great performances in NBA history and if you know my work it's a lot about how we overreact we have these biases and these these incredibly dichotomous narratives about players and at that point in time I mean I want to take everyone back to memory lane at that point in time LeBron James could not win big games. He was hurting his team. Um, you know, he just wasn't an alpha winner. You know what I'm saying? He just, he was, he was terrible. Yeah, I mean, that's completely true. If you look at everything else that was leading up to that, the last finals was the 2011 finals, Ben. Like, how can you argue against that? He just, Jordan never did that. Yeah, no, he would never um, have, a, have a choke festival like that. And then, of course, you know, he lost to the Celtics in 2010. He was upset by the magic in 2009. So it might feel for our younger listeners, it might feel like a world that didn't exist, but Oh, trust me on the eve of that game in 2012. I mean, ESPN was running first takes about how the heat should be broken up, how they were an utter disappointment. Um, I think it was Stephen A who suggested Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade get shipped to Los Angeles for Kobe Bryant and Pau Gasol. They needed to break up the band yeah, and then of course, um, you know, you can let let guys play basketball a little bit longer, and you can get a more balanced look at their career. And I think this happens to everybody. This is, I think, this problem's actually getting worse lately. As a Bucks fan, what do you think? Wait, you you think it's getting worse? I want you to unpack that first. Why do you think that? Well, I think um, as the social media era has kind of developed, we now have takes that need to be more extreme than the last take. They need to be more volatile and we constantly need to be crowning one person as the ultimate Lord champion savior of the universe, Thanos himself incarnate good. And then all the other people who are terrible failures and choke artists. Like, like I think in the ringer top 10 last season, they had Giannis at seventh, seventh, the seventh best, the seventh best player. You're talking at the beginning of last season. I'm talking like before the playoffs when they put it out, they put it out in March. Absolutely not. 
No, that no, that's a thing that happened. What do you mean, no, Cody? I don't, I don't believe you. If, this, this is false. If we're not watching video, Cody lit, like thinks I'm trolling him right now. He's like, "What are you talking about? No one, no one did that." No, this is see. Here's here's actually where I would push back a little bit. I almost feel like, and maybe it's a way that you're able to think about it, but I feel like like the. I'm not going to call anyone out by names, but the, the certain media personalities of like the 2010s, 2011 or whatever else, it was kind of like the mono voice, right? Like their voice kind of dominated sports center, people popping on any of these shows that they're watching. Whereas now you can kind of tune all of that out. I feel like it's easier to just kind of like surround yourself with a bubble of people that have better takes and just kind of ignore that kind of thing. Cause I, I don't know. I feel like I don't see, I feel like I don't interact with that sort of take as much as I did 10 years ago. Well, I see what you're saying, but I'm actually talking about something when I say it's when I say it's worse or whatever word I used more extreme. I think it trickles down into people who are more thoughtful and nuanced as well, where you end up doubting someone like Giannis very quickly and you end up crowning. I, I talked a little bit about Kawhi Leonard, but goodness knows in back channels, I was very vocal about loud like he won in Toronto and people were literally comparing him to Michael Jordan at his peak. And then we're describing like like people who I consider very, very knowledgeable basketball people would send me messages and be like, Kawhi's inevitable, they can't lose. Wait, what? I think this is what is going on where someone gets to the top and just right away everything has to be reshaped and reformulated in the narrative. And when they have a perceived failure or they don't get to the top, like Giannis, everything is a disaster and has to be broken apart. And the sort of look the losing bias the winning bias that i talk about in thinking basketball the book this has to be amplified because we live in this echo chamber of louder more more extreme more hot takes that that's what i mean that's what i mean by over the years i think it's i think it's gotten more extreme so if you just become battered and bruised with this conversation are you just not interested in like when is saucy ben going to come out on twitter again and start firing off those those tweets of yore I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping I've retired him. I'm hoping I've moved to, moved to greener pastures. When the, ga- when the game is off, I kick back and enjoy life. Or th- pff, This season, I, I don't ki- enjoy life. I just stay up late at night trying to figure out what the heck is going on with the NBA. Are there 15 championship contenders? Who's winning MVP? How, how do you pick a defensive player of the year from this season? What style works? What's happening? Is everyone the same? Who's going to play? I I can't figure it out, Cody. Yeah, this is this feels like a se- the season that I can think about like most recently where there's not a clear like even one or two winners in any category. Like there's a few categories where you're just kind of shrugging and being like, I don't know, I guess so and so will probably win that. But like there's no strong argument for anything. Like there's so much uh so much parity. There's almost so much equality in, among like 10 different teams. That's the word, parity. It it's some combination of like 1995, which was one of the best wide open postseason tournaments I think we've ever had, certainly in the three-point era. And then like the mid-late 70s when you could, you know, the Suns were popping up in the finals with 44 wins or whatever it was. The Warrior, you know, the Warriors in 76 had a really good regular season team, but the regular season in 1975 wasn't that strong. And they go on to win the NBA championship in 1975. So it's been a while since we had a lot of parity. And one of the things that's really throwing me off this season, and maybe just all of us, maybe we're just sitting in the wings waiting to figure out how to wrap our head around this and what narratives to write about it, maybe prematurely, um, is this idea that when more players miss time and we've got COVID, we've got a lot of injuries, more and more teams keep playing each other without a meaningful sample. Meaning I can look up all the data I want about, I don't know, the Utah Jazz or something. But if if they catch the Bulls without their players, and the Bulls haven't had their players for a while, so what do we make of the Bulls? If they catch the Bucks without their players, if they catch the Mavs before their trades, and on and on, if they catch the Warriors without Draymond, and on and on and on and on, how do we start comparing this? And because every team has their own version of this, it makes it really hard to sort out. You know, everyone kind of looks pretty good depending on the angle you look at it from. Yeah, you. I think back to the the video that you made. Did you make two videos about the Suns and Warriors playing each other? Yeah, Did you make two videos. Yeah, the first yeah. two games. Yeah. So like those were like basically fully healthy 
uh, teams there. But if they played each other right now, like you, you might as well just toss that aside. It's like, all right, well, the Warriors are Draymond list. The Suns are Chris Paul list. Like, what are we to make of these few weeks of the Suns without Chris Paul? What are we to make of the last month or two months, however long Draymond Green has been out for the Warriors? And uh, that's absolutely right. It just makes it nearly impossible to actually have any kind of analytical prediction going forward. Okay, are the Warriors getting better or are the Warriors getting worse? That's like a perfect example. Like since Draymond's injury, yeah, or well, like in the last, take take the last like six weeks, right? Yeah, they are. If if no one's paying attention, um, they have not been at this incredible pace that they were at when Draymond was there. But more young players are developing. More young players are having big big games. We were talking this week offline about nineteen year olds who have scored thirty points in a game, and there's been a ton that have done it recently, but. Years ago, I mean, it was only big. It was like Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett. It was these huge names. And then um, Rob Antle, our resident Warriors fan, was like, well, Moses Moody did it last week. And you're just, you're just like, wait, what? I thought Kam- Kaminga is the guy who's... What do you mean Moses Moody also? What's going on there? Are, players get injured, and then more players come in and play. And by the way, without Draymond, they're still at like a 50-win pace, I want to say, off the top of my head. Are they worse or better? I can't figure it out. I... That's a great question. And when it comes to Moses Moody, what's really interesting is it's like, this is a player that might not actually get playing time when the playoffs come. Right. Like, he's stacked up next to all these other all-time names, the LeBron James, the Kobe Bryant. And then it's like, here's a guy that's not actually going to play in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, we we got to try to make a little bit more sense of this, but to really put in perspective some of the stuff going on in the league, I looked at some of the trends in terms of efficiency and fouling for the last couple months. Um, are you privy to this? Has anyone talked about this? No, I. Had, this doesn't sound familiar. Okay, no. well, sit down, buckle up, put your seatbelt on, um, hold on to something tight. We are in the middle. This is unofficial, because I don't know how to get monthly breakdowns from the old days, but also it's incredibly unlikely that in the old days we had efficiencies at this level. We are in the middle right now, Cody, of the most efficient offensive month in the history of the NBA. Weirdly, that doesn't surprise me because I've I've been checking league average offensive rating like periodically throughout. And it's it's kind of been hovering like, I don't know, maybe around 109, 110 at some points during the season. All of a sudden, last time I checked and it was above 111. And I'm like, when did this happen? When did this happen? Yeah. Okay. So I've talked about this before, I think on an old podcast and even in a video, I've kind of graphed the trends of the last six, seven, eight years. And essentially what happened is as the pace and space and three-point booming and in conjunction with the way they called the game as this developed you had this huge run from like 2017-18 to the shutdown when coronavirus hit and you would see months like offensive rating 107 108 19 oh we hit 110 111 112 and i think in 2013 february sorry 2013 february of 2020 right before the shutdown we had an offensive efficiency in that month of nearly 113. It was 112.6. That portended what came last season um, in 2021 when they started the season late and all that. Last February, they hit 113.8, which I believe unofficially, again, was the highest efficiency month in the history of the league. Let me give it to you by this, this season so we can put in perspective... I just can't figure out what's going on right now. Okay. In November, it was 109.6. In December, it jumped to 112.3. That's when also COVID and Omicron started to sweep through the league. January, it stayed 112.5, just about the same. We had another uptick in February to 113.8. That again would be the most efficient month in NBA history. February has to, you know, step aside because here comes March. Cody, the offensive efficiency in March right now, yeah, Cody is covering his face because, you know, 115.4 is the league-wide offensive rating right now. Stop. No. What? 115? (laughs) Yeah, we're over 115. Now, what concerns me a little bit, and we've talked about this, I think, throughout the season, is... The points of emphasis with the officials, 
Some of them seem to be there sometimes. Some of them have completely gone away. Some players, I won't mention his name in Philadelphia, have their own rules half the time. Sometimes he's officiated normally and it looks insane. Here's what's happened to the foul calls. In November, there were about 9.7 fouls per 100 possessions, according to play-by-play stats. And I'll actually scrap that for a second. I want to focus on the shooting fouls. 8.7 shooting fouls per 100. That's your starting point to remember from November. Remember, November, we were under 110 offensive rating. 8.7 shooting fouls. We went 9.6 shooting fouls in December. By February, we were over 10. This month, we're at 10.6 shooting fouls. We've we've gone from 8.7 to 10.6 shooting fouls in four months. I I, I don't know what the playoffs are going to look. Which version of basketball is going to be played in the playoffs? And what I find interesting about this is you, I, you did retweet something that the refs just tweeted out. Like, they literally tweeted out a points of emphasis video where they're like, this is not a foul, this is an offensive foul, and it's like really odd timing if this is the, the context of that tweet. I, I tweeted that because it was nice to see at least some acknowledgement that, in theory, they're going to try to continue or re-emphasize the points of emphasis. Again, for those keeping score... These aren't rules. The rules have been there forever. The rules have been mutated, bent, twisted, morphed, grotesque sort of ways. Um, These are just the points of emphasis to help people get back on the rules the way they're supposed to be called. And now we're re-emphasizing the points of emphasis. And I will say I've seen some games, the Celtics-Mavs game yesterday, which was a beautiful... I mean, maybe we should talk about that basketball game a little bit, trying to sort out the teams and what to make of the league. That was like a more uh, a physical, old-school kind of game. They seem to let a little bit more contact go consistently throughout the entire course of the game. And combined with these really good defensive teams, you had what, I mean, what was the final score? Like 90, 95-92 or something like that. They didn't get to the hundreds, let's put it that way. Then you'll watch a game, there'll be, you know, 71 fouls in the first quarter. It's 45-39. to 39. I don't know what to make of how this impacts the playoff matchups, which are already confusing, which are already really interesting based on who plays whom. Cody, Cody, please help me out. Do you think, from what you've seen, do you think that there are different players that are essentially playing by different rules or being officiated significantly differently than other players? I mean, are you asking about the, the, big, the big-time grifters out there? Maybe. I mean, you said the, the guy in Philadelphia, and I wanted to jump in and say guy, singular. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so here's my, Embiid th- M- also is a, a bit of a merchant when it comes to trying to draw fouls. And um, I should point out that there's a, a breakdown of the Philadelphia Brooklyn game for Patreon Deluxe subscribers, patreon.com slash thinking basketball and there's a play in there Cody knows what I'm thinking of where Embiid tries the rip through twice on Nick Claxton basically into space like the first time he really goes after Nick Claxton's arm and Claxton gets his arm back and and thankfully I I, I felt so warm and fuzzy they didn't call a foul and then Embiid goes back to it, but on Claxton's body. Claxton's just standing there. Embiid tries to rip through and ends up throwing the body, uh, the ball off his chest for a turnover. I mean, it's it's like cartoonish basketball. I'm I'm literally trying to contain laughter. Like, <laughs> when you started explaining it to me, like the, literally, like you know the like exercise when people have the medicine ball and they like twist and throw it against the wall that's essentially the like it wasn't even a rip through that was the move that Embiid was trying to use like he had the ball tried to rip through once and then he's like oh there's no arm let me just slam it into his chest and throw it up and it's literally it's honestly embarrassing it is embarrassing to remember that one of the best players in the league tried this the other day and the thing is Embiid does these rip throughs but that's not his move he has a signature move it's the fall down he just he falls down all the time, usually on rebounds and loose balls. And when you watch the replays, he isn't touched. I, I, I'm not, I'm, we're not talking about initiating contact or interpretation of contact. I mean, two big men go up for a rebound. Joel Embiid is bigger than most big men. He gets the rebound. As they fall back to the ground, Embiid just keeps falling. Um, I think it was Chris Herring who had the article years ago about how many times he falls down in a game, but now they're fouls. 
And because Embiid and Harden are on the same team, I don't know if anybody's checked out a Philadelphia game lately, but they're in the bonus in about three minutes. So you're watching the game like Orlando has possession on offense. Jumper goes up, missed shot. Mo Bamba comes over. They both go for the rebound. Nobody touches Embiid. Embiid just falls down. And then you're like, well, that's side out of bounds. There's eight minutes. No, that's free throws. That's a parade to the line. You check the box score. They've got 38 free throws between the two of them. I mean, was it the Nets game when he literally had 19 free throw attempts in the first quarter? First half? Yeah, it was a lot. No, that first quarter he had a lot of free throws. Absurd. Just absurd. Yeah. That was a that was a very interesting game, though. Was it interesting? Oh, you don't think so? I mean, it's one of those where it was such a beatdown where at a certain point I'm like, how much am I actually getting from this? Like, if I were to actually watch a series between these two teams, in what way would this game like be similar to what I would see during a seven game series? Well, I think the key is Philadelphia would have to make adjustments. So that's that's sort of the that's the biggest takeaway, right? Is that without any adjustments in their sort of base packages, the way Brooklyn matches up, I mean I won't I won't spoil I get into this in the video in more detail, but Philly is going to have to make some adjustments. And if you had I don't know, Nick Nurse, Eric Spolstra, somebody like that on the other sideline, you might go uh, okay, so we'll see what happens. Maybe by the third quarter, you would have seen some different looks. But they don't. They have top 15 coach of all time, Doc Rivers. I was wondering how you're going to slip that in. I'm like, am I going to have to do this or are you? No, I took care of it for us. Okay, thank you. But yeah, I don't know. I think <laughs> it, 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 it was interesting to see, like, again, you can still kind of see how dangerous Brooklyn can be, especially when, like, the shot making between Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Like, at a certain point, that's just... It's it's ridiculous, but uh, the Sixers are just so out of sorts that, like, yeah, you broke down some stuff, and I'm like, there's absolutely no way that they would have this epic of a meltdown if it was the playoffs. At least that's what I'm telling myself. Have you watched the Philadelphia 76ers in recent play- – have you seen Doc Rivers coach a team in the playoffs? I'm I'm holding firm that we're going to get excellent coaching from everybody when the playoffs begin. I, I just want to say it again. They had Kevin Garnett's jersey retirement yesterday. Kevin Garnett single-handedly made Doc Rivers tens of millions of dollars as a coach and made him a top 15 coach of all time. I just want to put that out there. We can move on now. We'll, we'll, we'll let everyone respond to that or, or get angry about it. Speaking of KG, though, I am glad that they properly gave him his props during the game, saying that he's like maybe the number one player of all time that you'd want defending one through five. I feel like that's not... That's a more recent opinion that people are having. I don't feel like people talked that nicely about Garnett back in the the aughts. No, I also think, I mean, some of that is just from Minnesota, the small market, the losing, and all these ridiculous stories that we've talked about over and over again with players, especially him. But I think, uh, yeah, no, I I completely lost my train of thought. It's good that he's getting his his props. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Sorry. This is what happens when this is what happens when the NBA scrambles your brain. I've been looking at LeBron James footage from 2006 all day. Um, I think it's very hard for people in the moment to realize how great players are and how much they've achieved relative to the past. So Steve Nash was, you know, plugging toward his third MVP in 2007. And you just still had a legion of people who were like, he's not as good as Stockton. Come on. You guys are nuts. And you don't realize, Chris Paul, he's not as good as Isaiah Thomas. You guys are, you don't, you turn around, you don't realize, like, they're on their 14th All-Star game. They got 26,000 points and 12,000 rebounds. What, what are we doing? If you look at Kevin Garnett's accolades on basketball reference, you hurt your thumb scrolling for so long. I mean, they, they go back, they go back to 1996. Anyway, we're sidetracked. What are we doing here today, Cody? Well, I think the charitable view of that, and I, I am, can't think of the right word. I'm uh, some kind of word, whatever. I, I, I understand that feeling of not wanting to overreact because I feel like sometimes this might come up in a conversation we have later today, where if something in the moment is happening that's big, I might pull myself back a little bit more to just be like, all right, how realistic is this being? Like, I don't want to have that Kawhi Leonard moment where it's like, is this literally Michael Jordan that we're watching right now? So I, I think in the moment, it kind of makes sense when people aren't quite as uh, honest about somebody's impact or team's team's greatness. But when you're in the league, as long as some of these guys are, like, 
there's a point when you have to start realizing. Yeah, it's slow to react. It's conservative reaction, whatever it may be. Um, can we go back to uh, Philadelphia, Brooklyn? If yeah. I if if I said make a make a power rankings right now of championship contenders, just off the top of your head, or something that you've actively been working on for the last month. I don't know which. Um, what are you doing with Philadelphia and Brooklyn? Where, where do you put these teams in the hierarchy? See, you ask that. This is definitely not extemporaneous. I've been thinking about this very deeply for the last week or so. And it's, 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 this is one of those conversations that I'm like a little nervous about because I'm like, I'm going to get in trouble from so many different angles that I'm afraid to answer this. But, but if I were to say it, I don't think either of them would be like in the top tier of the Eastern Conference, at least for championship level uh, contenders, or I guess even if you look at it whole uh, whole league, they wouldn't be in the top tier. Wait, who are you going to get in trouble with? The, everyone. Yeah, but that I mean, we just get in trouble simply by hitting record. That's <laughs> I, yeah, but this is like really setting yourself up. It's like, oh, give me more criticism now. I would not put them in the like the inner circle championship contenders. I I think at this point, I would only probably have three teams in the inner oh. circle. You have four. Cody's Throughout holding the up entire four league. Yeah, the entire Throughout league. the entire league. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I have four teams. You have four teams. Okay, so Phoenix is one of them. Yep. Golden State, healthy is one of them. Yep. All these teams got to be healthy. Milwaukee, I'm including, right? Because it looks yep. like they're going to get Brooke Lopez back. They're you know, still doing pretty good things there in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually... I, I don't know when you want to zoom in. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better about Milwaukee. I have some... I have some good Milwaukee vibes at the moment. I, I do have a question for you. It, actually, I have two questions for you about Milwaukee. Okay. One is about their offense, and one is about how they match up with a certain team. But we'll circle back to that. Let's, let's stay on focus here. That's what you're here. You're here to keep me from going off the rails on my famous tangents to myself. Okay. Uh, Phoenix, Golden State, Milwaukee. Who's your fourth team? I am so drinking the Kool-Aid right now, but Boston's in my inner circle at the moment. Wow. Their defense is unbelievable they are playing at such a high level maybe it's because we prepped for for that podcast and i really had to watch them closely but every time i watch boston play i'm just like this is this is an awesome team like they have so many different things going on they're not super singularly ball dominant where one player has to carry them which i like to see from a championship level team their defense is just coming from a bunch of different angles i think they've edged their way into the conversation wow 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 i will say they were the first team i thought of not necessarily that they're at the top of my tier two teams if I were to lay this out but uh, they did come to mind I think the interesting thing with the Celtics is do they have enough shooting do they have enough depth their defense does look fantastic both in terms of personnel scheme coordination matchup versatility Uh, Rob Williams is playing well and bought in Grant Williams is really good if Al Horford can give you like these 25 to 30 minutes if you play a six game series or something and he has four good games I, I, they're going to be really hard to, to beat. Wow. Not only that, but if, if Jalen Brown, he's shooting like last three seasons, his three-point percentage is lower than it has been. So if he gets himself back up to even what he used to be shooting, I mean, that's another really scary off-ball weapon they have. Okay, so were there other teams? Because if I lay it out by tiers, I think I end up with five tiers. Five tiers. Let me try that again. Five teams in tier two that I would describe as sort of your fringe candidates or they could make a finals run, something like that. I think Boston fits that bill to me more. Um, What other teams would you have in there? And then what is it about the Celtics that you think differentiates them from a team like, say, like Miami, who would be in that category for me? So this is this is tricky because how I mostly did it is I made the tiers per conference and then I kind of jammed those tiers together. So there's a couple like there's at least like one, maybe two Eastern Conference teams in my tier two that I think are a step below a couple of the Western Conference teams I have here. Hmm, So it's kind of an extended tier two. And for my counting, I have one, two, three, four, five, six tier two teams overall. Okay, but so so even just sticking in the East Celtics and Miami. I'm not comfortable. I I can't figure out Miami. When you talk about teams, you can't figure out. It looks like when they're healthy, they're really good. I I should point this out. The Celtics, obviously, they've turned their season around. They've been much better. We've talked about some of the metrics that they've they've put up, like a plus 10 net rating since December for uh, January 1st, things like that. But Miami on the whole season, 
They've trotted out Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, and Kyle Lowry for 25 games, which honestly, when I saw it, looked like a lot because I'm constantly trying to watch them play together and they're always injured. And I was like, oh, they've gotten up to 25 games. That's pretty good. And again, it's hard with all the flux in the league to control for schedule really well. But Cody, they're playing at a 62-win pace in those 25 games with an elite defense. Bam Adebayo gives you an elite defense with that package, Spolstra's coaching, and then you add in Jimmy Butler. You've got, I mean, again, I feel like I could give you better scouting reports on, on Max Struess and, uh, and, and, you know, Martin and, some of, and, and how Gabe Vincent is actually playing really well and will he have like a decent playoff game at some point or something. But they're really good. What, what is it that you see that differentiates the Celtics? So you're absolutely right. When the big three are on, they played about 500 minutes together and they're like a plus 10. And I like seeing when big players are together and they break that plus 10 threshold. That's always that's always a good sign. And they're they're right behold, below the threshold for me. But for me, I'm a little nervous about their offense. Hmm. Like defensively, okay. they're very strong. But uh, Kyle Lowry, he seems to be more of a connective tissue kind of guy. Like you called him the little things king. And he's very much taking on that role. And I don't know how much he can like scale up his scoring punch right now. Bam. One of the best rim runners in the league. Love his defense. But, like, beyond his little, like, fake left, drive right, and kind of take a hook shot in the paint, I don't really know how many other moves he has creating for himself. I don't know if he can get himself easier shots. Jimmy Butler, I feel like I've seen him get stonewalled driving to the basket a little bit more than than previous seasons. I don't think he quite has that same burst. So when things slow down in the playoffs, I mean, if you make the argument that Eric Spolster is going to be able to wizard something up for their offense and help them that way, maybe I would think of them a little bit higher. But I'm nervous about when the, the, the game gets a little bogged down and they're going to have to slow down and score. Okay. I could see that happening. I mean, you could also see Miami being really hard to guard with their movement, having the right schemes. I think Bam's best offense is just bamming people, just like bam, bam, just right into the lane, overpowering them. As an aside, this is we could have a whole Anthony Davis conversation here because I feel like Bam bammed the East in the bubble, and then he got to Davis, and then Davis bammed Bam. Anyway, let's let's get back on track. Um, I think those are the re- like the things you're laying out to me are kind of why I think of the Celtics in Miami, probably in that similar probabilistic landscape. Uh, maybe Miami has a lower floor if they get the wrong matchup or something like that. The East is also insane because of all the matchup versatility, right? Yeah. So, okay. You also, yeah, go ahead. I, I was, one, one more point about Bam, though. You say Bam just bammed folks in the Eastern Conference. I'm thinking about the matchups. Like, who, who, what team is he going to bam? Like, what team is he going to bam? I don't uh, know. He bammed Milwaukee and he bammed the Celtics. Yeah, Giannis is Giannis is a different animal now. Last time they played in the playoffs, they absolutely walloped them. And you know the Cavaliers of Jared Allen, if he's back and healthy, and they have Evan Mobley, is he going to bam Joel Embiid? Probably not. Even like Andre Drummond, like he showed that he's kind of strong. I don't see who's going to get bammed. Like who's bam bamming when bamming needs to happen? <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, uh, what's happened here today? Let's 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 get it together. <laughs> um, uh, I want to ask you a question. Yes. How do you think Milwaukee matches up with Philadelphia? <laughs> you couldn't even finish the question. <laughs> no. uh. Ben, I feel like this is a loaded question. Why Why can't – I, I want to hear your response. Why can't you hold it together even asking me this? Uh, I'm just thinking about the bamming. Uh, I'm literally crying out of my eyes. Okay, Milwaukee and Philadelphia. How do you feel about that matchup? I mean, I really like that as a Bucks fan. I'm a big fan of what Milwaukee's going to be able to do there. I mean, if you think about, uh, I don't know, you're going to have to kind of lock up James Harden in some way, right? He's still good. As much as we make fun of him and his grifting and whatever else, he's still a great player. And if you're going to, like, make a player in a lab that's going to be able to defend him, it's probably not exactly Drew Holiday, but Drew Holiday's pretty close to up there. And okay. I don't think Drew Holiday's defense has been quite as strong as it has been maybe in the last couple of years, but he's definitely still strong enough and quick enough that he can keep up with James James Harden right now. However, I am very deeply concerned about what they're going to do with Embiid because they can't, I don't think they can roll out like these, these Portis Giannis lineups too much. Cause I, I just don't want Giannis defending Embiid that much throughout the playoffs. I mean, that's a lot of physical punishment to take in a series. What about on the flip side? What about Embiid? How do you defend him? I mean, I guess if Brooke Lopez is there, you feel way more comfortable, but yeah, you're, you're making a questionable... You're making the face for how I feel inside my head. I'm just not sure about the Brooke's, matchup on that end. Brooke's not coming back. He's, he's not coming back? He didn't, I, I, wasn't I, it announced I that he's coming back? Was it? 
Hold on. You don't think he's coming when? back? I, I've been I've just accepted it. I I mean, I could have sworn maybe maybe I'm having really? fever dreams about the NBA playoffs already. Wasn't it announced that he was gonna make an attempt to come back this week? I honestly don't know. It feels like a bunch of players were gonna come back this week. Brooke Lopez to return to Bucks from injury. Whoa! No way. <laughs> You are hearing live Googling, everybody. This is incredible <laughs> live, content. Live Googling. Yeah. <laughs> According to Woj, like this has to be legit then. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they're going to come back. Against the Utah. Okay. Now, we'll see how they look, but they're going to come hmm. back. Wow. Yeah. That changes things. If they have Brooke, I like, I like Milwaukee even more. This is, he's like, this he's is clearly our him. best episode. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we've got bamming, live Googling. You counted down from, from six to one. Um, this is just fantastic content. What? Okay. Did we sort this out? You feel good about this matchup, right? I, I do. How do you feel about it? I'm not sure. I wanted to ask you as a, you know, take the, take the pulse of, of the Bucks. Um, I do kind of want to see a little bit more from Philadelphia. I want to see how Brooke Lopez looks. I think I'm with you in that the matchup's really interesting because you have Drew Holiday defending Harden on one end, which I would probably just pay money to see even on television. Don't tell anyone that. Uh, and then on the flip side, how do you handle Embiid? What's Giannis's role? I mean, if Giannis can come off ball and you've got twin towers, I think that's a really nice matchup for Milwaukee. The crazy thing about the East is just the matchups are probably going to determine who comes out of the conference. Like if you replayed it 10 times with different matchups, you might get three or four teams emerging, three or four different teams emerging based on how those permutations match up. So I'm, I'm thinking about, um, now that I've had a second to actually collect my thoughts, the ways that Bucks might actually be able to play them. Uh, if Brooke isn't back or the minutes that Brooke isn't in with Embiid, you're not, if you're not matching the Brooke minutes with Embiid, uh, the, the Nets seem to be really successful with, you know, as soon as Embiid puts down that first dribble, you go and double team him right away. Yeah. The Bucks are really disciplined defensive. I mean, they've, they've slipped defensively these last couple of years, but they've shown they can be very disciplined defensively. They have a bunch of physical perimeter defenders. And then I think... If you play it that way and you have Portis maybe uh, on Brook Lopez or or Brook, I mean, Portis on Embiid or Brook Lopez is out there defending Embiid. If if the 76ers have Thibel out there, do you just put Giannis on Thibel and let Giannis kind of roam around in the paint? Like, does that completely nullify any impact that Thibel might have in a, in a series? This is why the playoffs are awesome. Because in the yeah. regular season, you don't see stuff like that, but you get it right away in the postseason. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I You've talked me into feeling pretty good about my uh, Milwaukee in that matchup. So I have Philly, Philly and Brooklyn in the East. I included as teams that I think could win the conference. They're very different, though. Brooklyn feels like a team that any individual team doesn't want to see them because they have a big puncher's chance. But the Nets in totality to do that three times or four times against top-level teams. And because of their seeding, they might have to do it against all of the teams in these tiers, right? All of the top two-tier teams in the league. That seems very unlikely. But in one series, would I want to be the team across from them? Not necessarily, and probably especially not, if I were Philadelphia. And if Philadelphia doesn't match up well with Brooklyn, and they don't match up well with Milwaukee... Do they match up well? I, I like the Celtics in a series against them. What about the, like, talk me through, are we feeling comfortable that Philadelphia can win the East? I mean, I think so. I think any of these, okay. these tier two, tier one teams could win. I even have like, I have a single team in tier three, and I think they have an, a super outside chance in winning. I don't have a great belief in them, but I think they're at least in the conversation. Is that in um, the Eastern Conference? Yeah. Is that the Chicago Bulls? That is in the Chicago Bulls. I have the same thing. No way. This yeah. is incredible. We didn't prepare everyone. I mean, we didn't share notes. I did this time. right before we... I've been thinking about this constantly, and I'm like, if I actually wrote down the teams and kind of how I see them, I see the Celtics, Miami, Philadelphia, and Brooklyn as all being capable of making finals runs. And then I have this tier three called long shot, which I typically think of as two round playoff teams. You can win a series. Maybe you can win two series if everything goes right. People get injured. And I think there's a couple teams. I think there's three of them in the West. And in the East, I have the Bulls. Why? Okay, so why don't you have the Bulls in that tier two? I mean, with with DeRozan being as on fire as he's been, and Levine's a crazy shot maker. Like, it feels like they kind of might have the same sort of variance that you'd be afraid of between like Durant and Kyrie, where it's like, oh, if they catch fire a couple games, it's over. So why don't you have Chicago up there with those other teams? I think that I've always liked the Bulls. 
I've never liked them as like an inner circle title contender. I don't think I've seen enough of all of them healthy at different points in the season against the best competition and really specifically against good competition to say or have a have a grip on the idea that they're going to come into a playoff series, do A, B, and C successfully. If a team takes away C, they're going to go to D. And then when they play opponents, they're going to be able to stranglehold X strength, Y strength, Z strength, whatever. Um, if Lonzo Ball's back and Caruso and Lonzo are playing, I kind of love that perimeter tandem, but there's still the question of what happens with Vooch defensively if Vooch's shot is on. Um, I actually think DeRozan will probably have his best playoffs of his career, but how does that fit with the rest of the offense? How does it all shape together? I'm still not sold that, like, compare them to Boston. I'm just way more comfortable with the Celtics. Yeah, and also what I felt about them is if I was imagining, like, a fully healthy Chicago team going against Cleveland, for instance— and I think if they have Alonzo and Caruso out there, especially with Garland being, like, the main focal point of the Cavaliers' offense, like, those two would just make his life a living hell for a series. And I think that would be a lot for them to handle, so I didn't want Cleveland to be in the same tier as Chicago. But then when I was breaking it down, I just, I agree. I don't think they're quite to the level of those other those other. Teams. Cleveland is in my no tier. Just like no. no chance? None. No, it's just not happening. Yeah. I mean, even if Jared Allen comes back, I think they would do well to win a series. Um I also, I, in the West, I have Minnesota in the no tier. I have Toronto in the no tier. Who have we not talked about yet? Oh, the, a couple other long shots for me. What did you, what, like, Dallas? What are you doing with Dallas? Oh, I really like Dallas. I, I like Dallas too, but you think Dallas can win three playoff series in the West? Maybe. I mean, it's really tough because they to say to win three playoff series, they have to get through either Phoenix or Golden State. And obviously, those are the two teams I have above them. But they're they're in my tier two for the West. But when I strictly ranked them, Dallas is actually my third team in the West that I think has the best chance of making it out. Over Memphis. Over Memphis. Wow. I, I, dis- I think I disagree. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit lower on Memphis, and this is what I was foreshadowing earlier in the episode. It's It's a conversation where I'm like maybe holding myself back a little bit. The Memphis buzzes a lot. But th- there's a couple of things like maybe I'm being a little too too statsy about this one having some concerns that aren't great but i almost feel like the grizzlies are so good because they have like 10 really good players and no matter how you slice it like pretty much any lineup like if you have tyus jones out there without john morant they're still like a plus five or plus six which is ridiculous and when you start condensing those lineups in the playoffs i'm just i'm I'm interested to see them what happens when you actually put their eight best players into a playoff kind of rotation and how they survive in that environment yeah that's fair their numbers are also all thrown out of whack because of the first couple weeks of the season Uh, again another team that you're like where do I what data do I rely on where do I make the cutoff point what's a valid signal who were they playing how do I figure any of this like out what day of the week it is I I, I don't know I couldn't make it through that sentence it was just (laughs) that's what the season feels like um okay I I think the thing with Memphis, Memphis reminds me a little of the 90s Sonics, which is both good and bad because they were upset a ton, but they also made the finals. And I think what I look for with Memphis in the postseason at a high level is physicality and athleticism. Big, powerful, fast, young, strong team. And the head of the snake, John Morant, embodies that. I just don't think people are going to have physical answers for him. But much like Boston... You have big question marks about shooting, and the depth thing is kind of the opposite. It's, they have a ton of depth, but what does the final rotation look like in the postseason? And I'm happier than anyone to have a 9 or 10-man postseason rotation, but within a series, you usually got to pick. You got to, okay, this guy comes in, and he's our seventh guy. He's our eighth guy. In the next series, we go to this guy. But there's got to be some matchup advantage that you're creating by having – oh, I'm going to bring in this shooter, I'm going to bring in this extra big, I'm going to bring in this defender, versus just treading water, if you have good depth like that. And another thing tactically about them is offensively, um, I, I do they have like a threat that you can toss down into the post? Like, is there any player on that team that you can just kind of shake it up and be like, oh, we have a mismatch in the post, we're going to take advantage of that? Because I feel like that's a sort of option that is really nice to have and actually pretty important to have when the playoffs come. It's just one guy you can be like, all right, we have a mismatch down here. We're going to post up a couple of positions. Well, they'll do it with Jaron. I don't know how efficient it is, but they'll certainly do it with him. So I don't know how many teams – how many teams do you think have that option? I mean, the Suns have it with Aiton, I think, which, is, which can be big. Um, the Nuggets obviously have it. 
by the way, where do the Nuggets fall in all of this? I, I think my thing with the Nuggets is I, I, at this point in time, on March 14th, tomorrow's what? March 15th, the Ides of March. <laughs> I got, somehow the Ides of March got Cody. I don't know. He's not into his, he's not into his Caesar history. Um, where, where were we talking about? Denver. I can't trust. I can't trust that that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. at this point in time can come back and make the meaningful difference to put Denver into the championship class. See, I agree with you. I had I have Denver and Minnesota in a third tier, but when I'm looking at this third tier, basically it just means you're not making it out of the West because my tier two. Because I, you know, I was just trash talking Memphis. I think Memphis is very good. They're in a tier with Dallas, Utah, and them. So I still think they're in that inner circle, but I agree with you. Like Denver, Minnesota, they're in that same sort of range for me. So, sorry, where did you have Utah? We haven't even talked about them. Tier two with uh, Dallas and Memphis. Okay. All right. I thought you said you had Memphis. You were a little lower on Memphis somehow. I was in, in strict rankings. Oh, I see. I, I have I, see. I have both Utah and Dallas above them, but in okay. terms of tiers, they're in the same tier. I moved Utah to tier three long shots. Whoa. I don't, I, I don't like everything I've seen since the Joe Ingles injury, and I still think they're really good. And I feel like if they had someone playing well like Joe Ingles or the trade they made where Nikhil Alexander-Walker can come in and play more than two minutes a night, um, anyone, just anyone could come in and be a wing. There's all sorts of things that I think make Utah very close to being a contender to come out of the West. And they are obviously a very good team. But there's something as, as good as Boston is as much as these teams are trending in the positive direction like Dallas. I feel like Utah is trending in the other direction. And no, I won't be surprised if they make a run, right? That's why they're in the tier three. They can, they can make the run just like Dallas can make the run. But I'm more confident in all the other teams we talked about to be able to win two or three playoff series and come out of the conference than what I see from Utah right now. I just really like their offense. I mean, they're I, just I, I like blitzing their people. Yeah. And I think Donovan Mitchell is up a level from, from last year. And, you know, looking at some of the lineup data, this isn't even like a two-man or three-man lineup, but they're, they're five of, of O'Neal, Mitchell, Conley, Bogdanovich, and Gobert. They've played 600 minutes together, not, plus 9.5 this season. Plus 9.5 for that five-man lineup. I don't know. This is a team that, like, very solidly knows who their guys are. I agree. Like, they didn't address their, like, perimeter defensive woes that we saw from the playoffs. But I think this also goes back to me being really, really high on Gobert. Like, to me, Gobert is, like, the the for-sure shoe-in defensive player of the year still. I think he's still extremely dominant. I still think he's very effective in the playoffs. And I think this is, I don't know, I think this is a great year for them to make that run. But... Phoenix and Golden State still, still exist. You think Gobert is a shoe-in to get Defensive Player of the Year? Oh, yeah. Wow. I, I, I don't know. People get angry when people are, like, so definitive about it, but I don't know, like, who someone would make a stronger argument for right now. But I feel like, like, my concern is the voters have massive fatigue. And then on top of that, they start doing this, which they did with Jokic last year. They start doing this thing where they start trying to find other people to put over you that's the telltale sign they're like who can we put as defensive player of the year other than that guy we've put as defensive player of the year multiple times in the last few seasons but Jokic still won mvp and i don't know i think gobert's gonna win it and if not i still think he's the best defensive player in the league of players that have played like a significant amount of time I feel like we're like one definitive article away one espn piece at halftime away from someone catching a wave of momentum for the final four weeks. Like like people waking up to how good Miami's defense is with Bam on a bio and then making a statistical claim across the board that because of that, Bam on a bio should be the guy who finally gets. Like does someone else, it still feels like, could creep in. But you, Cody Hodek, you are saying no chance. It's going to be Gobert. It. Stamp it. It's over. Unless Maxi Cleva comes in hot. Like he did to reject that mob yesterday. <laughs> Maxi, I, I have a side bet. I don't think Maxi Cleva is going to get more than, I want to say three, but I'll just to be safe, I'll say five points of all defensive voting. I think he's going to get like five second place votes 
at the most. I don't think anybody... He comes off the bench, man. I don't think anybody is going to give Maxi Kleba the love that I so dearly thinks, think he deserves. I think he's a very good defensive player, and I want him to... I want to say that he's an all-defensive level defender, but, like, the forward position is just stacked, and I don't know... I, I, I don't even know if he'll get that. I mean, there's some really good defenders who are forwards. I think, I think Dorian Finney-Smith is probably more likely to get votes like votes to challenge to get on the team although there's so many good forwards that uh it's gonna be really hard should they have more than two all defensive teams on one hand on one hand nobody geeks out and watches defense so they don't know what's going on on the other hand i feel like this is just a, a like a cornucopia of great defensive forwards in the league right it's overflowing it's teeming with these wonderful defensive forwards Wait, two like you're saying the same award, or you'd like split it apart, like perimeter defensive player of the year? No, no, all defensive teams. There's only two of them. So you're saying we need to expand it? I'm saying on one hand, should we have like five? Like we need we need more. (laughs) How do we get all these defensive forwards into the conversation? Oh man, can you imagine some of the the players that would make like all defensive player five? Russell Westbrook would be on the team, and stop it. uh, Andre Drummond would be the starting. Oh, Andre Drummond would for sure team. make make fifteen. Like that's not even a question. People would be all over that. When you grab a lot of rebounds, I don't know if you know this. When you grab a lot of rebounds, that means you are a great defensive player. I I read that in a handbook once in 1967. A handbook, Ben. I am steering us back to the conversation. No, the saucy it, takes are coming out. This is what this is what you want. No, I want that to go on Twitter. I don't want to be the one receiving the takes. If you had to pick a championship winner right now, who is it? Oh my God! Are you really going to do that before I was going to just wrap the show and just get us out of here? No, you're saucy right now. I need to get saucy, Ben. I no, I have no idea. I'm not capable. Of, I'm not physically capable of uttering a championship winner right now. It, it, I can't do it. That's no fun. I I need to save that. We have a big month coming up for thinking basketball. This week we're going to get a LeBron James video on sort of what's going on with him now and the evolution of his career to this point. We've got J. Kyle Mann coming up later in the week. That's always a fun conversation. And then as we get into April and kick off the playoffs, of course, the annual tradition of Dave Dufour and I previewing everything is coming. And I don't, Cody, I don't even know at that point in time if my head is going to be able to pick a team. But I will, before we go, I'll let you get in trouble. Who do you think, if you had to pick, would be your title winner today? Can I can I say I don't know? <laughs> My luck. Yeah, I don't. Know. If if you want to support if you want to support this show, head on over to Patreon.com/slash/ThinkingBasketball. We have uh, all kinds of extra features, including that Net 76ers breakdown. You, did you like that breakdown, by the way, Cody? I loved that. We yeah. need more of that content. We try to try to get those up. Um, we've got some from the past, and hopefully more coming up as the season goes on. We've got proprietary stats that update daily that we often cite here. Articles, probably. I mean, our watch along. That's a really fun one. People like that one. Our our watch along of the seventy fifth anniversary all time draft that we did, and uh, we have a community and a ton more. patreoncom thinking basketball. As always, thanks for listening all the way to the end. This was a this was a wild one. And uh, wherever you are, I hope you're having a great day.